a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Sources. Posters have long believed that the Latino community to be leaning left. Uh, but in 2020, former President Trump surprisingly made significant inroads there. Uh, but it's not just the posters. Uh, I've often criticized candidates of both political parties of completely missing the boat in terms of not reaching out in meaningful ways to this rapidly growing group of Americans. And so the question then is, what should politicians really be doing uh, to make this meaningful? Uh, Again, this is not a monolithic group. uh, And how can they more specifically tailor and invite these communities to be part of the conversation and moving forward? Uh, Really pleased to have joining us on the program today, Dr. Lisa Garcia Bedoya, who is the Vice Provost for Graduate Studies and the Dean of the Graduate Division at the University of California at Berkeley. Uh, she is also a professor in the Graduate School of Education there. Uh, doctor, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. So in a report that was originally published back in 2020, uh, although it was retweeted earlier this month by the Latino Public Policy Foundation, there's really some interesting underlying numbers and messages there. Again, regardless where people fall on the political spectrum, uh, to me this is more about what kind of elevated conversations are we having and getting people more involved in the process. So as, as you look at that, what are some of the underlying things that we usually don't talk about when it comes to Latino voters? Well, exactly what you opened with, the fact that the community is not homogenous. There's a lot of heterogeneity, and we should expect there to be. If people have similar opinions, it's because they've had similar life experiences, not necessarily because they're Latino per se. And so that's why it's important for politicians and parties to really understand what are the things the Latino voters care about and to tailor their messages to address the day-to-day concerns that they have in their lives. So in some sense, they're not any different from other voters, but they may have specific needs that these um, the folks reaching out to them have to be more sensitive to and more aware of and appreciate that those may be different in Colorado than in Illinois than in Florida. Yeah, uh, and I think so often it is, uh, I think it has been a, a horrible job, particularly I think on the re- Republican side of the aisle. Uh, I've often criticized that group for, uh, you know, calling outreach, you know, a really poorly translated brochure in Spanish uh, a listening tour and uh, and then check it up and say we we've done outreach uh, and to your point uh, dr Bedoya the how how the outreach happens uh, is as important as what it is absolutely we know having an authentic conversation with someone um, with, from a trusted messenger so somebody either from your community or who shares some experiences with you maybe from your congregation or or other you know institutions. Um, who can talk to you about the things you really care about, and especially to your point earlier, most Americans don't really understand the political process. They don't understand federalism. They don't understand the point of midterm elections. People, it's easy to focus on the president. It's harder to understand Congress or your state legislature. 
And then the other piece that's really important that happened in 2020 that I worry is going to be worse in 2022 is that, you know, not all Latinos speak Spanish, but those that do depend on different outlets for their information, in particular WhatsApp mm. and, and Facebook and Twitter. And those entities, at least Facebook and Twitter, the, the controls they put in place in 2020 to um, control misinformation actually only worked in English. And oh. so for AAPI voters, Latino voters, anyone getting their information in a language other than English, um, they actually were subject to the same kinds of misinformation. And especially WhatsApp was, was used um, by people to, to spread ideas and claims that just flatly weren't true. And so that's something that I think we can expect to probably, unfortunately, see more of in 2022. And we don't really have any way to defend against it. Wow, that is a uh, that is huge. I did not realize the disparity was that great when it came to the misinformation and disinformation uh, being out there in languages. That's uh, that is a fascinating point. Um, so as you look at that, as you look at the breakdown of some of those numbers, uh, what are some of the things behind the numbers? Maybe give us a little sense of the numbers as you look uh, in a place like Florida or Arizona, where we tend to have more conversations uh, about this this kind of vote. So in terms of the numbers, do you mean in terms of which party folks are voting for or yeah, what people, just, which candidates? Yeah, some, uh, more, more what the voters are experiencing or what they're looking for that maybe one party or the other is or isn't delivering. Yeah. So, so you know, there was a lot of hand-wringing at the, after the 2020 election in Florida. I, sh- I should say it shouldn't have been a surprise to anyone. All the good voting uh, polling that came out of Florida in the six to eight months before the election showed that, you know, Joe Biden, his problem was people like him if they know of him, but a lot of people didn't know of him. So he was sort of a non-entity to a lot of people. And the power of incumbency is real. And people felt that Trump, you know, was doing a pretty good job on the economy. And and many people were frustrated about COVID restrictions. And so that really resonated. And then the last piece, um, back to the misinformation point, you know, the argument that, that Biden was a socialist actually got a lot of traction, um, particularly for folks who are getting their information in Spanish who are immigrants who come to the United States because they really believe in capitalism and believe in the American dream. And so you did see um, an increase in the number of Latino voters who were supporting Trump and also supporting other Republican candidates, about an eight-point increase in 2020. Whether that will continue in 22 is, is uncertain. In general, Latino voters, half of Latino voters in a, in a typical presidential election actually sit out. I'm talking about eligible Latino mm-hmm. voters. That happened again in 2020. So that's a strong suggestion to me that the messages that candidates are putting out there, the, the way in which we're talking about and framing elections just isn't resonating for people. And I think that's especially true now in COVID. I think people are exhausted and it's hard to pay attention yeah. To things that feel abstract when you're worrying about how much how you're going to fill your car with gas. So I think the fact of the matter is, Latino voters don't care about anything different. They care about the economy. They care about education. Um, immigration doesn't tend to be a top issue, but it tends to be a gateway issue. It it really does tell me how you feel about me, right, and my family. It's not really, you know, I'm I'm a I was born in the United States. Immigration is not really relevant to me as a, as a policy. Um, but I think that the, the, the question of getting people to, to participate in midterms in the U.S. is a problem, period. And it's especially a problem for um, Latino and Asian-American voters. And so we saw a big uptick in 2018, which showed that if you if you made clear that this was an salient election and really important, people will turn out. But I'm worried that in 2022, we don't have that same kind of energy and fire yeah. behind um, the work, which will make it harder, I think, to have the turnout that we need in those communities. 
Yeah, that that turnout is so important in those communities, and I I appreciate that you pointed out, uh, Doctor, that the, uh, the entrepreneurship and family focus and upward mobility their their version of the American dream are are so important. And uh, I've been dying to ask you this question as I I was getting ready today, uh, and that is it it doesn't seem like either party has done a good job of not just going into the Latino community, but going in and and you know sharing these things that do matter those kitchen table topics but then actually inviting them saying you know I need your help as a candidate or the country needs you to do x there never seems to be a real call to be part of the solution to be part of this winning story uh do you see that in terms of the political parties are they missing an opportunity there I totally agree that they are and that what happens is the relationship is purely transactional right now that you you go to someone a week before the election with whom you've never spoken you know you don't know anything about their life or what matters to them you give them a canned message or you know something with mariachi music uh, which of course doesn't work for anyone who's not mexican um, and may not work for those who are mexican right Uh, and 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 you say vote for me and then the person might turn out and vote and then there's nothing right there's no follow-up, there's no accountability, there's no sense exactly like you're saying that we're all part of a collective that's working toward a greater good. And then they come back in four years and transactionally say, will you vote for me again? Um, Without any sense of, um, you know, what was the purpose? What did, you know, not, not what did I get, but you know, how did that make a difference in my life? Right. The fact that that you engaged me at that time. And so that very superficial engagement has historically been true and continues to be true that we don't talk to Latino. We tend to not. There's good research that says that outreach to Latino voters tends to not have policy substance, particularly mm-hmm. in Spanish. Mm-hmm. It tends to be cultural and symbolic. Wow. Uh, and that's not the reality of people's lives, right? People yeah. are worried about paying rent and people are worried about, again, putting gas in their cars and paying for food, especially these days. And they need leaders who really speak to those experiences but are sensitive to the, the particular needs that folks in this particular group might have because of their positionality as being racialized in this way. Yeah. Wow. Fantastic insight. Couldn't agree more on the transactional nature of, again, both political parties do this. It's about relationships. Dr. Lisa Garcia Bedoya, great insight uh, joining us from uh, University of California, Berkeley. We're going to step aside for top of the hour news. Much more to come on Inside Sources next. Stay with us. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.